Hi, everyone. Susie O here. Just want to let all of you know that the certificates of deposit at Alliant Credit Union are now at, for a six-month CD, 5%, a 12- to 17-month CD, 5.15%, and an 18- to 23-month CD, 4.90%. And for those amounts of $75,000 or more, just add on 0.5% to those rates. Go to myalliant.com and check it out. Hi, I'm Sarah Puel, co-host of Susie Orman's Women and Money. As we get ready for season two of our podcast, we wanted to share some of the best episodes from season one. We hope you enjoy listening. Today, I want to talk about women and investing. And the reason that I want to address women in particular is besides this show is called Women in Money, is that women, actuarially speaking, we live longer than men. And not just a little longer, but a lot longer. Let me give you my mom for an example. My mom was 66 years of age when my dad, who was 71, died. And my mom went on to live until she was 97 years of age. And it was during those years that mommy had to figure out a whole lot of things. And thank God she had a little Susie Orman to make sure that she was okay. But you might not have a little Susie Orman in your life. So therefore, you have got to do it yourself. All of us are living longer And the longer we live, that means the more our money has to provide for us. And so many times we rely on our male counterpart to be making the investment decisions. Sure, sure, we take care of household expenses and things. But most of you, I have found, not all of you, thank God, but most of you still rely on the man to make the decisions about the mortgages, about the retirement accounts, about where your assets are allocated, all of this stuff. And I think that's a very dangerous thing to do because where are they getting their advice from? Joe, who they work with, who got it from Johnny, who got it from Jimmy. I mean, Things happen, people. And do you know that your husband, without a shadow of a doubt, knows what he's doing? He loves you so much that sometimes he lets you put that financial burden on his shoulders and he says, okay, but he really doesn't know. Forever, I have thought, you know, we may fake orgasms, but men fake finances and they will not ask for help. And you know, and I know they will not even ask for directions. So therefore... This show is all about what you need to know about investing. And at the end of the podcast, I'm going to give you a technique that I want you all to use to make sure that if the markets are good, no matter what the markets are doing, that you come out ahead no matter what. But this is what I want you to think about right now. Number one, time. Time is the most important financial ingredient in any financial freedom recipe. Let me give you an example. You're 25 years of age. Oh, don't we all wish? That's besides the point. You're 25 years of age, and you're putting $100 a month away in a Roth IRA, which is a retirement account, and you do that every single month until you are 65 years of age or 40 years 
And over those 40 years, your investments have made an annual average return of about 12%. One year, the markets go up 30%, they go down 20%, but over those 40 years, you average 12%. Do you know when you're 65 at $100 a month, you'd have $1 million? But you think, I have time on my side, I can wait. What difference does $100 a month make? That's $1,200 a year. Over 10 years, that would be $12,000. I'll start doing this at 35 rather than 25. Do you know that if you did that at 35 at the age of 65, you would have only $300,000? Those 10 years cost you $700,000, and that's just at $100 a month. So we have got to start making our money work for us right here and right now. But you get afraid. You see these markets, they go up, they go up, they go up, and you get so happy. You're thinking, oh, my God, look at how much money I'm having in my retirement account. And then they start to go down and down. And your fear makes you call your HR person and say, stop investing. I don't want to put any more money in the stock market. Sell everything. If you stop investing when the markets are going down, and or you sell everything, in my opinion, you are making the biggest mistake out there, especially if you have 20, 30, 40, or 50 years until you need this money. When the markets go down, the shares that you buy, their prices go down. When their prices go down, the money that you put in to those investments, buy you more shares. The number one key to making wealth, to creating wealth, is the more shares of a good quality investment you have, the more money you would make. Think about it. You have one share of something and it goes up $5. You made five bucks. You have a hundred shares. It goes up $5. You made $500. You have 1,000 shares. It goes up $5. You have $5,000 that you made. The key is accumulating a lot of shares. So when the markets go down, you should be so happy. I can't even tell you. You should actually be wishing and a praying and a hoping that these markets go down so you can continue to buy more shares as you are investing your money. So that's just what I want you to think about for now. Again, that would be like buying things on sale. So as you see these markets going up, going down, I do not want you to freak out. I want you to just stay the course. Keep investing. And again, at the end of this podcast, I'm going to give you a technique, which I think is the key to successful investing. Now, everybody, let's welcome Sarah. You're getting all familiar with Sarah, aren't you, my co-host here? So, Sarah, we've been doing this for a little while now. Do you feel like your life is changing at all? What do you think now that you're talking money with me all the time? Oh, yeah, Susie, it's definitely changed my life. I'm embarrassed to say it's surfaced a lot of things that I haven't been doing that I should have been doing, and I am definitely getting to work on them now. You shouldn't be embarrassed to say that out loud. You should be like, bingo, this is your bingo moment, because that is the entire purpose of the Women and Money podcast. And now let's go to the questions. Okay, Susie, our first question comes from Jackie, and here's what she asks. She says, if I only have enough to fund my retirement account monthly to the tune of $458 a month, what should I invest in? 
the very best thing for you to do is to put it in a Standard & Poor's 500 index fund because you really don't have enough money to buy individual stocks. When you buy individual stocks, you need at least, in my opinion anyway, 25 stocks with 4% of your investable assets in it, and that makes up 100% of the amount of money that you're going to invest. But when you have little amounts of money, smaller amounts, and not that I'm putting that down because 458 is a lot more money than a lot of people have per month. That needs to be diversified. So the best thing for you to do is to find a good no-load Standard & Poor's 500 index fund so that you don't have to pay commission on it and just put it in there every single month and you'll be great. Next question. Next question comes from Beth. I've heard you say you like ETFs better than mutual funds. Why is that? Yeah. A mutual fund as I've said before, is a pool of money where people put in money mutually and you own a sliver of all the stocks that are in that mutual fund. With a mutual fund, you cannot buy it and sell it at any time. So if all of a sudden in the morning, Sarah, you hear in a mutual fund that the markets are going down, oh my God, I want to sell, you can put it in order to sell, but you don't get that price to the close of business that day. So that leaves you vulnerable. An exchange-traded fund is exactly like a mutual fund, but it's a fund that trades on the exchange. So they have many index funds. They have all kinds of exchange-traded funds that operate just like mutual funds. The difference is you decide at 10 o'clock in the morning, you want to sell your exchange traded fund or your ETF. You pick up the phone and you make a call or you put it online and you say, I want to sell and it's sold immediately. You do not have to wait till close of business. I like that. All right. Next question comes from Jessica. She says, I need income. Do you think it's better to buy a long-term bond fund or an individual bond? Oh, at this point in time, listen to me, you have got to buy an individual bond. There is a rule of thumb, and all of you need to understand this. This is a very important teaching moment here. When interest rates go up, which we see interest rates are going up, the treasury bonds are going up, treasury bills are going up, interest rates are going up. When interest rates go up, the value of bonds go down. So when you have your money in a long-term bond fund, what that means is they are buying bonds that mature in like 30 years. The longer the maturity, the more the fluctuation of price when interest rates go up and interest rates go down. If I were her at this point in time, I would do what's called a laddered portfolio of individual bonds. If she has money, divide the amount of money she needs to invest by five and put that amount of money in a one-year individual bond, then a two-year individual bond, a three-year, a four-year, a five-year, so that each year she has a bond, an individual bond that is maturing. That way, as interest rates go up, When one of the bonds matures, she can then take that amount of money and invest it at a higher interest rate. I, at this point in time, would stay as far away from long-term bond funds as I could possibly get. Okay, our next question comes from Megan, and she says, I work for a company where I have all my money in their stock within our 401k plan. I love this company so much. 
We are still growing, even though my money isn't. What do you think about this? Oh, so I think we have big danger warning signs here. I personally have a rule of thumb that you should never have more than 10% of the money that you are investing in your employer's stock. You have got to diversify. So if you want to push it a little and 20% of your money in your you know, employer stock in your 401k, fine, but absolutely not a penny more. Next question. All right, here we go. Uh, it's coming from Karen who wants, uh, I think I'm excited to hear your answer. I'm looking to buy one newsletter that suggests stocks to invest. Which one would you recommend? <laughs> Give, Boy, us so, Give us the goods. Give us the goods. Give you the goods. There's so many good ones out there, but I'll tell you, and I'll tell you that I myself purchase these newsletters. I love, love, love the Motley Fool's. And I just think that their recommendations over the years have been so incredible, I cannot tell you. Our next question comes from Lillian. When you give an example of a 12% annual average rate of return, where does one get 12%? What are you talking about? I've never even seen that, Susie. What, what do you mean? I did not say 12% interest, where you're guaranteed an interest rate every single year. A 12% annual average rate of return is that one year your money makes 30%, then it loses 40%, then it goes up 20%. But over all the years that it's been in there, you have averaged with up markets and down markets a 12% annual average rate of return. So over all the years, the annual average is 12%. Now, I will admit that's high. You could do 10%. You can do 11%. There was a period of time there where over 40 years, it was 11% annual average rate of return for the markets. 12% is not that far off. Now, I use 12% to make an example to everybody as to how time makes a difference and how time is the most important ingredient in any investment strategy because of compounding for the money that you invested to earn money and the money that it earned to earn money. So that compounding effects is what gives you incredible wealth. So that's what I meant by that. How do we get every single 25-year-old in America to start doing that? Just $100. How do we do that? I mean, I wish I would have done it myself. When they hear this example, I have to tell you, they all go, are you kidding me? Because then I follow up that example with, do you understand people that you most likely are buying a Starbucks every single day? And that Starbucks is costing you 3 to $4 every day. And what that means is that that's $100 a month that you are literally peeing down the drain. I'll never forget when I did that on the Oprah show. And Oprah just gave me that look like, did she just say peanut down the drain? $100 a month if you just stop that and you put that into a Roth IRA. Because remember, later on in life, it's all tax-free. Something is better than nothing. So you should start it today. You should start it today. You should start it today. Okay, so this next one is from Ellie. And she wants to know, what's the difference between a mutual fund that I buy through a financial advisor and one that I buy on my own? 
When you buy a mutual fund through a financial advisor, the commission can be 45 to 5%. So let me give you an example. You put $10,000 in a mutual fund with a financial advisor today, and it's a A-share fund, meaning you pay the commission up front. You decide tomorrow you want to sell that mutual fund. It has not fluctuated in value. It is absolutely still exactly the same price as what you bought it for. If you sold it the very next day, you would get back only $9,500. Why? Because 5% went to the advisor who sold it to you. What that means to you is that it has got to go up 5% for you just to break even. A mutual fund that you buy on your own is called a no-load mutual fund, meaning it does not have a commission to buy and it does not have a commission to sell. Therefore, you put $10,000 in a no-load mutual fund today Tomorrow you decide you want to sell it and it hasn't changed at all, you will get $10,000 back. If the markets go up 5%, you then would have made $500 versus just breaking even in what's called a loaded mutual fund, which is what it's known by if you buy it through a financial advisor. Loaded funds, no loaded funds, have portfolio managers. You are looking for a no load mutual fund that has the lowest expense ratio out there. Again, the expense ratio is the amount of money that is paid to the portfolio manager. The Vanguard funds are fabulous, no load mutual funds that you can get them for a quarter percent, half a percent. Look into your, you know, the 500 index fund and Vanguard and all of the Vanguard funds. But I would be very careful about buying a loaded mutual fund through a financial advisor. So Autumn wants to know, wouldn't a mutual fund that's managed rather than a fund that just buy an index do better? Or is she wrong? She's wrong, but she's actually buying the ticket that Wall Street is trying to sell her. Do you know, I think if we did a study or we used to look back, we would find that a Standard & Poor's 500 index fund, the fund that simply buys all the stocks on the Standard & Poor's 500 index, over time outperforms like 80 or 90% of the managed mutual funds that are out there. That's why I constantly say to people, if you don't know what to invest in, just buy a Standard & Poor's index fund, one that buys the entire market. You will not go wrong over time with that because the expense ratios are low. You have absolutely perfect diversification in something like that. You don't have a portfolio manager that is buying and selling and doing all these things. So I personally would never buy a managed mutual fund. If I was going to buy something that was managed, I would buy individual stocks. And therefore, if I was going to buy a mutual fund, I would do an index fund of some kind. But she just believes everybody who says, oh, a managed fund will make you more money. Over the long run, I personally think they do not. 
All right, one more. All right, last one. It's from Melody. What do the letters A and B mean after the name of my mutual funds? If you pay the commission up front, it's called an A share fund. You can go online, people, and you can look and you can see that many mutual funds have the exact same name, the exact same assets in the mutual fund, the exact same portfolio manager, but one has the letter A and one has the letter B, and you will see that the one with the letter B usually performs worse than the other one, and the expenses are higher over the long run. Why? The advisor who sold you that fund gets the commission up front. They get their 5 or 7% up front. The fund itself charges you a 1% fee a year to keep that mutual fund. It comes on the behind. I always say B stands for behind because it kicks it to you in your butt. And if you decide to come out of that mutual fund before the five or seven year surrender charge is up, which is how long it takes for the mutual fund company, the advisory company who sold it to you to get the money back that they paid the advisor, you have to pay that. So you might be in it for three years. You decide you want out, you sell it. You have to pay a 4% surrender charge. In a no-load fund, you wouldn't have to do that. So it makes absolutely no sense to buy a mutual fund that has a letter A or a letter B on it whatsoever. That's the difference between the two. Bs are actually worse than As because they're just in disguise of being sold to all of you as a no-load fund. This has to have been one of the, not heaviest, but the most Susie schooled podcasts that we've had. But I think that all of it is vital information because I know people don't know this, which is why they're writing in and asking. Okay, Susie, it's time for us to go to the phones and talk to one of our callers. Let me tell you a little bit about who we've lined up. Michelle, she's married and has a 13-year-old son. She makes $130,000 a year and so does her husband. They own a home, and in six years, they'll have paid it off. The home is worth $675,000. Michelle has $200,000 in an IRA, $25,000 in cash savings, a fully funded eight-month emergency fund, no credit card debt. Her kid's college education is paid for and fine. She's done everything that you have told her to do. She has a question about retirement, and she's got some fear. Michelle and Susie, I'd like to introduce you. Take it away. Michelle, it sounds to me like you're doing pretty great, girlfriend. I don't know who had, you've got money here. What's the problem? What are you afraid of? Oh, Susie, first, let me just say, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to have this conversation with you. Um, Yes, my question is around how to overcome my fear of retirement planning and investing for retirement. So basically, um, just looking back over my life, my financial goal was to get educated and live what I consider a comfortable life. And I've done that. And I have a business. I run a business. I feel I have my life together in a lot of areas. But I've really kind of ignored retirement planning. And now there's 51 candles on my birthday cake. And retirement is kind of creeping toward me. And I'm envisioning this beautiful, healthy retirement full of travel and experiences. But when I look at what I have saved so far, I'm embarrassed. 
and I wonder how I'm ever going to support this wonderful retirement I have in my head. So first of all, I just have to ask you this. As you just said to me, when you look at what you have in retirement, you are embarrassed. Do you know, Michelle, that 51% of the people in the United States of America today have less than $1,000 in savings? That is all they have, period. Not that you should be comparing yourself. Right. So my first question to you is, and I understand your fear, and I'll get there with you, but you didn't use the word fear. You said to me that you were embarrassed. What are you embarrassed about? The embarrassment comes from when I've gone to like wealth retirement um, agencies, like they look at me and like $200,000 is nothing. Like they want $500,000 and up. So I've been turned away from some wealth retirement uh, financial advisors because there's not enough money there. (laughs) Number one, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the people that are turning you away, that the advisors themselves don't even have as much money as you have, just so you know. And the only reason they're turning you away is that they simply want to make more money off of you. And most wealth advisors charge you a percentage of what they have under management. And usually it's like 1%. So 1% of $200,000 is only like $2,000 a year to manage your money. They can't make money off of you. But I can tell you, I can give you the name of plenty of advisors that are fabulous that would be more than happy to take $200,000 because those are advisors that really care about you, Michelle, not the amount of money that you have, but they care about building you wealth. And I will give you, when we're off the air, the name of somebody that manages hundreds of millions of dollars for somebody. I've sent him per people who I have 50000 10000 and he treats them all the same. Are you still afraid? Tell me what else you're thinking. That would help immensely because there is there is a fear of um, that I'm 51 and that there's not a lot of time and I don't have a lot of time for mistakes. So to I don't want to be you know I feel like there's a couple of things going on. I need to make up a lot of ground and yet I think about the markets going up and down and oh you got to weather the losses and that I don't I I don't have the grit for that or I don't feel like I have the grit for that right now. Let me give you yeah. the grit for that. You should be thinking that you're going to work till at least till you're 70 or or older. You own your own business. So if we have at least 10, 15, 20 years for you to work, and you should want to work that long, every month you take a sum of money and you invest it in the stock market or whatever your investments may be. As the markets go down, your dollars buy more shares. The more shares you buy of a good quality stock, exchange-traded fund, mutual fund, whatever it may be, the more shares you're able to buy over the long run, the more shares you will have. And then when the market returns and starts to go back up again, that's when you make a fortune. So if I were you, Knowing I had a good 10 or 20 years, not that I needed this money next year or two years from now, this would be the time that I'd be thrilled to start to invest because the markets are really high. 
And if they start to go down, which they very well may, you just get to buy stocks or whatever you're buying as if they're on sale. And as long as you keep them and they're good quality, you'll be more than fine. Now, did that just make sense to you what I just said? It completely makes sense. I feel like the markets are so high right now, like I've missed all my opportunity. Like, so where do I go? And then furthermore, what do I invest in? I mean, I I sit here looking, do I invest in land, real estate, a condo? Do you want to be a landlord? No. Do you want to be dependent on some tenant having to pay you rent in order to pay your bills? No. Do you want a piece of real estate that's a liquid, meaning you can't sell it anytime you want? No. Do you want a piece of real estate that's subjected to hurricanes, floods, fires, all of these things? No. The stock market is liquid. The stock market, you can take small amounts of money and invest every single month. The stock market, you can invest in things that pay you a 3 4 5% dividend simply while you're holding them so that you can see income coming in into your retirement accounts. In your situation, you're going to go into the stock market. Now, when I say that to you, how does it make you feel? It makes me feel <sighs> that a decision has been made for me that I trust. And this is what I'm going to do. I feel like uh, 20 pounds just came off. However, you have to not just trust it because I'm saying it. You have to feel it in your gut. You have to feel what I am saying to you makes sense. And that that's why 20 pounds have just come off. Not because Susie Orman said it, but because Michelle is a strong powerful, independent woman can feel that what I just said made sense. When you explain it like you did, word, you can liquidate it if you want to. You can get in at different price points. You can you can choose to invest some months and not months. I mean, it, it, that logically makes sense to me. So now we have a plan. Now, here's a question, though, that I'm just a little bit confused about. Sarah just gave me all the facts and figures of what you have coming in. You are married, however. She did not give me the facts and figures of what your husband or your spouse has coming in. Why is that? Well, our finances are separate. And and not to say that we don't plan things together, but we do have separate finances. So we have a post-nup and we got a post-nuptial agreement a few years ago. He also owns a business. And many years ago, um, we loaned his business some money that did not get paid back to us. And that kind of was like this simmering resentment that happened for a while. And then he got into a financial wrinkle And even though it was through his business, um, he got into a lawsuit that the judge allowed the other side to come after our personal property. Long story there, but just know that 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 was the, the case from the judge or the judgment from the judge. And before that could get signed off and finalized, we were advised by an attorney to separate our finances. And when we looked at it, um, we agreed. We earn about the same amount of money. Um, so in the post-nup, 
my salary, my car, my business, my retirement is quote mine and his is all his. So it's separate in that sense. And even though it's separate in that sense legally, I I just have to ask you this question. Is this a man that you want to spend the rest of your life with? Yes. Yes. No, he's otherwise I would have uh, those two financial wrinkles put so much stress on our marriage. We we would have divorced. So I don't like the way that he handles finances at all. Um, but I love the person and he's a good husband and a good father and and loyal and and does wonderful things for the family. So it's it's uh, it was in all those other all these good things. And then this that financial part of it can be so cutting um, that it was going to drive us apart. So when this opportunity came along, we were like, how come we've never heard of this or even thought of it? Because there's probably a lot of other people who could, uh, you know, take advantage of a post-nup if they're in a similar situation, right? Where you're kind of earning the same thing. I'm not reliant on him to, to live my life, but you know, we split our bills and we, we plan for the future together. Just our finances are separate. Does he make essentially the same thing, 130000 a year as you do? Yes. And how much does it cost both of you per year to live? So that's a good question. Yes, it does. It takes both of us. Um, we split all of, the, all of our bills. So it is about, um, oh, it's hard to say because I don't know all the bills that I got, quite honestly don't know all the bills on his side. So I'm going to say it's, it's about $60,000 total to to live between the two of you between the two now, of us why don't you try doing this to make up for lost time why don't you try living off of just one of your salaries and that's it your income and you are to bank or invest a hundred percent of the other person's because do you know that if you just saved $2,000 a month, every month for the next 20 years, and it earned an annual average rate of return of 7%, which means one year you make 20%, one year you lose 10%, but over 20 years you average 7%, which is absolutely doable. At just $2,000 a month, do you know that you would have a million dollars in 20 years saved? Do you know that? No. So. Do it at, yeah, do it at 4000 a month. Now you have $2 million, or, you know, now we go from 7%, where actually you're making more on it. Let's say you're making 8%. Now you're, you know, at $1.2 million or whatever it may be. You could very easily, if you started now being responsible with your money now and made the most out of it over the next 20 years, you could be multi multi millionaires if you just did that and the best way for you to do so would be to open up because you own your own business a SEP IRA which is an individual retirement account that allows you to put 25% of your gross income in up to about 68,000 this year something like that whichever one is less and once you put it in the SEP IRA you then could convert it to a Roth IRA. So it is very possible that you could get 20,000 a year easily into a Roth IRA for you and for your husband. And now we're saving $40,000 a year 
that's in a situation that gets to grow tax-free for you. And when we're doing that, now we're putting, so if when you look at that, that's about $3,500, you know, a month, right around there. Now we're looking that in literally 20 years after taxes, because it would be in a Roth, you would have $2 million after taxes. I do have a SEP IRA. I didn't know anything about how to convert it to a Roth. So that was the second part of my question for you is I I do have about $48,000 right now to invest that's just sitting in my savings account when I take out a year's worth of living expenses. And And would your recommendation be, I would imagine, to fully fund my SEP then and my Roth, right? You make too much money in order to qualify for a straight Roth. But you want to be able to get more money into a Roth IRA than just $5,500 or $6,500 a year because you're over 50. Correct. So if you have a SEP IRA and you convert it because there are no income limitations on converting it, then what you do is you just convert it at your 25000 or whatever it may be, and now it's in a Roth. You owe taxes on it, but who cares? Because that's fine. You would have owed taxes on it anyway. You got a tax write-off for the SEP IRA. Now you owe taxes on it. It equals itself out. And now you've gotten $25,000 in a year. He can do the same thing. And now you're saving you know, twenty-five dollars or $50,000 a year in a Roth IRA, a converted one. And now over the years, you're going to have millions of dollars. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea of that. And that's called investing. And that's why the key to building wealth is through investing. So that's what you need to do. And it's really just that simple. And it's always we think we don't know. My God, what should I do? You are in such an extraordinary situation. I can't even tell you. You have more time on your side. You're going to have very shortly here in six years, you're going to have your home paid off. You'll then take the amount of money that you are putting towards the mortgage and you'll start investing that. I'm telling you, Michelle, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. I didn't even think about the money that I'm putting toward my mortgage. You're right. I'll have additional monies there. Because you just see money going out right now, right? You just don't even think about even paying it for every month for just so long. You don't even think about it not being there. You are doing just fine. Sarah, before we let Michelle go, do you have any thoughts for her? Yeah, you know, what What strikes me is when you were talking about your husband and some of the challenges you've had between you with, with money that's led to the post-nup, that maybe some of the fear that you've been speaking about is a question mark that you don't have an answer to is that, is he saving enough? Are you going to have to take care of him in retirement as well as yourself, which makes looking at all of this even more overwhelming? Is that, is that something at all that's going on for you in this fear equation? Absolutely. Um, And you said it very well and it's, Nothing I brought up or maybe is on the forefront, but it's it's definitely in my mind for sure. So, you know, what I would say to that is on one of our last episodes, Susie talked about we had a relationship episode and we talked about transparency and really opening up the lines of communication around money. And 
you having that conversation and having that be a part of all this work that you're going to do and and you're so smart and you're so strong and you've made such great decisions make also having the conversation with your husband and being on the same page with him about what he's doing with his money so that together you're planning even though separately for your joint future and retirement Susie, what do you have to say about that? I feel like you talk so much about transparency in relationships. Sarah, this is the goal of women and money, that here you are and you've now picked up on something that is so important. And obviously it rings true with Michelle. But if we can all start being this community where we start learning from these podcasts and we start giving advice to one another, just like you did to Michelle. Now we are transforming the world of women for us to help each other and make us all strong, all smart, all secure. So I don't have anything else to say other than right on, girlfriend, you got that so good, I can't even tell you. Proud of you there. So, Michelle, take all of this advice, take it to heart, and you go out there and be the woman that I know, as I keep saying, you are meant to be. So this podcast, we've been talking about investing. But there's a big difference between talking about investing and actually investing. Now, many of you may already be investing in your retirement plans at work, or in your retirement plans that you've set up for yourself in individual retirement accounts or Roth IRAs. Your do-it moment is to simply look at your investments. Number one, make sure that you understand them. Are they making money for you? Are they not? And look at the alternatives. What else could you be doing with your money to making more out of the money that you already have? Got that? For those of you who already have retirement accounts like that set up, your do it moment is also to please check the beneficiaries on all of your accounts. Remember, the beneficiary that you have designated on any retirement account will override the wishes of your trust or will. So if you were married and you left your now ex-spouse that you're divorced from as the beneficiary on your retirement account, even if your will and or trust says your money in the retirement account is to go to your current spouse, it will go to your ex. So please check all beneficiaries and make sure that they are up to date. For those of you who do not have an investment account or retirement account, here's your do-it moment. I'd like you to go to a discount brokerage firm. You can do this all online. Actually, you don't even have to go there and set up an account. As you know, I like TD Ameritrade a lot, but I want you to set up an account where somewhere you will be able to get free ETF trades. Again, ETFs stand for exchange traded funds. And then I would like you to take a small amount of money every single month. Just commit to it. If you don't know which one to do, do a Standard & Poor's 500 index fund. The spider's symbol is SPY, or you can even do one with the symbol, which is SDY, and just keep doing it month in and month out. Please know when the markets go down, your investments will go down, but as they go up, so will your investments, which brings me to the number one key building strategy for creating wealth. 
Listen to me closely. There is no way for us to know, really, if these markets are going to go up or if these markets are going to go down. So your job is to stay constantly invested, especially if you have 20, 30, or 40 years or more till you need this money. And one of the most cost-effective ways to do so is through a technique called dollar cost averaging. This is where you take a specific sum of money, your dollars, and every single month you take that same amount of dollars and you invest it into the stock market via an exchange-traded fund, a no-load mutual fund, or stocks if you have enough money to do so. When the markets go up, the price of the shares of your investment will also go up. So your investment dollars that you're putting into the market will buy less shares. When the markets go down, the investments that you are buying, their share prices will also go down. So your dollars will buy more shares. Think about it. You have $100 a month that you want to invest And right now, what you want to buy is selling for $20 a share. And you put that in this month, you're able to buy five shares. Next month, however, it's crashed and it's only selling at $5 a share. So your $100 allows you to buy 20 shares. The key to building wealth in the stock market is accumulating as many shares as you possibly can in good quality stocks, exchange-traded funds, or mutual funds. The more shares you have, the more money you will make in the long run. So if you do this strategy, dollar cost averaging, a specific amount of money, you buy the same thing every month, whether it goes up or goes down, you average the price. So over the long run, You're not going to have a dramatic loss. You might not have as big as a gain, but you really have protected yourself somewhat. And again, the more shares you're able to buy, the more wealth will be created if it's in a good quality stock, exchange-traded fund, or mutual fund when the markets go up again. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.